Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles and I'm the host of the Sendcast. We here at B Squared started this podcast a few years ago to help improve knowledge around SEND. There is lots of stuff to read, but we're all very busy. The phrase, every teacher is a teacher of SEND, is currently an ideal, not a reality. We created the Sendcast to try and help solve that problem, to help make schools more inclusive and to help teachers be teachers of SEND. The Sendcast is also a great way to get the same information to schools and parents. Every week on the Sendcast, we have a different guest that I've invited on to talk about a specific area. This week, my guest is Lorraine Peterson, OBE, and we're going to be talking about transition to the next phase of education. And we don't just mean from primary to secondary, we're going to be looking at that from leaving home to those first steps in nursery or school, transitioning through those years in infant and junior all the way through up to post 16 and beyond. Now, Lorraine has over 25 years of experience as a teacher and head teacher. She was the CEO of Nason. Lorraine has received an OBE for her services to education and now works as a consultant as well as other roles. Before we get started, I'd like to remind you about B Squared. Over the last 25 years, we've supported schools to support students with SEND. Our assessment content is used in over 10,000 schools around the world, with around 1,500 using Connecting Steps, our assessment software. Our evidence system ever since helps schools capture and share the achievements their pupils are making. Our online CPD offering, Training for Education, started two years ago with the virtual SEND conferences, but now includes a range of training courses as well. If you want to find out more about B Squared and how we can help your school, go to our website, www.bsquared.co.uk. There is lots of information there available, and you can also book an online meeting to find out how we can support you. Or you can drop me an email. My email address is simply dale at bsquared.co.uk. Let's get on with the podcast. In this week's show, we're discussing transition to the next phase of education for children and young people with SEND. Joining me today is Lorraine Peterson, OBE. Lorraine is an educational consultant with 25 years experience working in school. Since 2004, she's been sporting special needs in a variety of ways. She was a CEO of Nason, currently consultant, director of education of a teaching school alliance and governor. Welcome to the show, Lorraine. Thank you, Dale. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Always a pleasure. Um, when we think about transition, we often think about the big transition from primary to secondary, but there are lots of transitions that happen throughout a child's education and they can all present challenges for pupils with SEND. Absolutely, and I think you're right. We, we tend to concentrate very heavily on that key point, which is going from primary to secondary school. But what I want to do today is really to, to go through that child's life and, and, and where they start and where they end up, I suppose, and just look at those particular transition points. And I think given where we are at the moment and, you know, we yes, um, I'm recording this at a point where everybody's gone back after Easter and, and our schools are getting back into what the new normal might look like. But we're still very much in our bubbles and we're still socially distancing and we're still wearing masks and using anti-back and all the rest of it. So we know that last year was very, very different for transition right across the board. 
And I don't think this year is going to be very different to that. I think no. that whichever whichever transition point we're going to talk about, it is going to have to be different. So I'm going to sort of talk about in general what we should be doing, but then sort of thinking about what we could do instead in terms of the youngsters. So I'd really like to talk about, first of all, the first bit, which I would call from home to school. In that group, I would place, there will be some children that are in nursery from birth almost, you know, parents who work, parents who choose for that to be the situation. And those children, young people will, uh, will be really used to the regime of being in a setting, if you like. Yeah. What I'm more concerned about here are those children that have either been at home for the whole of their preschool time. So they've been with a parent or parents and maybe grandparents Um, And remembering that, you know, many of our children have actually, where where there there are two parents, they've had two parents at home for the last year, which might not be the norm um, because parents have been working from home. So, again, I think that's going to have a challenge for some of us. You will have those children that have been in private nurseries from sort of age three, because it's that point where parents can get part-time childcare free. You'll have some that will be in at childminders. Yeah. And you will also have those that have actually been in a school nursery that yeah. is attached, obviously, to, to the school. So all of those different situations will have different needs transition-wise. But I think there's some really important things that we need to do when we start thinking about a child transferring to reception, which is where they come in at full-time education. At this moment in time, as I say, just after sort of the Easter holidays, Schools are now aware of who they're getting. Parents have been sent their letters to say that they've got their first, second, third, fourth, whatever choice of school. So there'll be an awful lot of anxiety from parents if they haven't got their first choice or, you know, their second choice or, you know, if they're, they're worried that they've been given a choice that actually they don't really know that school very well. So I think that, you know, those schools have got reception children coming in September it's really important that we make those initial contacts very quickly. So we're doing that, you know, as from when you first hear this podcast, if you haven't already started that, because that is just a critical point. And again, because we have built up these relationships with our families over lockdown, and I think that's something that has, you know, really done well, we want to carry that on. We want to make sure that we're engaging with those parents and carers from now and you know it's not waiting till september the first or whatever we're starting to get them into that routine now ordinarily i would say that the first thing that we should be doing is actually home visits we should be going out and seeing those parents and those children in their home environment and that might be about two members of staff going one member of staff talking to parents one member of staff you know playing with the children or whatever but That may not be possible this year because of, you know, restrictions. And it might be that, you know, you can do that socially distanced and in a coffee shop or a park or, you know, it's still possible. But we've just got to think differently. But why I think that bit is really important, even if you've had these children in nursery and you, you do know the children, I still think this is really important before a child starts reception is to go and gather as much information as you possibly can about that child. Now, if that child was born with a a special need or with a disability, that parent will know about it. They they may even have an education, health and care plan by now. They, They will have had some portage. They'll have had support. They may have had some respite. So they'll be already part of the system. Yeah. So those parents will be quite switched on. 
and they will know and they will be able to tell you everything they need to know, you need to know about their child. The group that I think we really need to investigate are the group that, as at this moment, have not been identified. Yeah. So the parent might think they're, you know, they're not developing as well as they should be or they're not developing alongside, you know, the same way as a sibling did or their friend's children or whatever. Or actually, the parent hasn't actually noticed because they don't know. No, because sometimes know. when that child just has a limited range of experiences, there's a whole world they're missing, but the parents... Absolutely. So seeing that child and gathering that information. And, and I would want to be gathering information from birth. So were there any difficulties at birth? Was the child born prematurely? Was there any yeah, medical needs after birth? And and I again, it sounds like it's prying, but actually, if the parent's happy to talk, you know, did mum have any difficulties after the birth? And because all of that can really help you later on when, you know, you may be sort of identifying some uh, special needs. If that child was born incredibly prematurely, and has spent three months in an incubator, that actually might be the reason that developmentally, they actually are already three months premature. So they haven't, you know, they weren't fully developed when they actually came into the world, etc. And and especially if that child was due in September and gets born a good few months earlier, that's, they're going to hit that school so much earlier than they should have Uh, been. Absolutely. And, And so getting all of that sort of information, medical information, Who's been involved in that child's life? So health visitor or have they had some speech and language therapy? Were the early years portage team involved? You know, all of that information, just gather as much as you possibly can to give you that picture. So even if the child hasn't got any special needs at this moment in time or identified special needs, you're getting the information because in my experience, a parent whose child is coming into full-time education will be very happy to talk to you about their child. When they're in year four and you're suddenly saying to that parent, was your child born prematurely? They may not want to tell you. Mm-hmm. So getting that information when they might be happy to tell you is actually yeah. a good thing. So if you can't do those home visits, then thinking about how else can you get that? And I think often schools just send out a questionnaire and the parents mm-hmm. are expected to fill it in. You know, you may not get genuine answers. You may, you know, they may think, oh, I'm not going to put that down because they'll judge me or, yeah. you know, whatever. So I think using Teams or Zoom or, or a virtual platform, you asking those questions <laughs> is probably a better way than just yeah. sending out a questionnaire. If I just think about yeah. sort of when my children were young is you're at that point where you're going, your child's going to go to school next. You start thinking about which school and you go visit the schools and that's a lot about you seeing the school. This is your first child. This is your first time you're going to be in that parent role. Mm. And you've got loads of questions about, there's lots of questions you have as a parent about you around your anxiety of your child going to school. Then there's your child. And sometimes they didn't go with you. Sometimes they did. But there's also, you went and found the right school for you by the feel of the school. Mm. A lot of the time, offered ratings, it was a feel generally yeah. decided. So there'll be a lot of parents arriving at schools in September who've never really got the feel of a school. Yeah. And and you're right, because they haven't been able to go there no. because of all the challenges. And yes, lots of schools have got some fantastic virtual platforms where they've got videos of the school and you know, but and, and they show you the dining hall where the children will go and sit for their dinner. 
But actually, for that child, they've got to walk from their reception class to that dining hall. That dining hall is going to be full of children. It's going to be noisy. <laughs> they've got to eat in front of other children. You know, all of those things. And as a parent, you'll be worrying about that. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing we did, which, again, you can't do, is once we, we got this point, we knew which school. We kind of found out when their summer fair was. Yeah. And we went to the summer fair, yeah. which was a great opportunity to my child to go around the yeah. school and experience it and you meet oh these parents are really nice yeah. this is really nice. oh these teachers so you've got such a huge um won't be able to do that no. and, and again you know schools might have coffee mornings for new parents to get together and so when you turn up first day on the gate you know somebody yes because again you might be new to the area you might actually be going outside area because that's the school you've chosen. You know, it's, there's all sorts of things. So this year is going to be very different, like last year was. Last point is my daughter's oh. school, the primary school, did really amazing. It was a buddy system. Yeah. So when you went into year five, so when you at the um, end of summer term, when you're in year four, the new reception children come in, the future reception, and they got linked up with a child in year four. That was your buddy. You welcomed them. You wrote them a letter. So it was all signed, and then you met them on that day. You showed them around the school, and that meant on that first day of term, that child was now in year five. Their first day of school that year was in reception with that child. Yeah. It's a really good thing because um, the parents would meet the child. It's a great way of just helping the parent and the child transition to that school. It yeah. was brilliant. Yeah, sounds fantastic. And that's not happening this year. No, we won't. In that be. way. Yeah. Because you've got to stay in your bubble. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, sort of thinking about doing things differently, which which we'll have to. So we may have to do our home visits differently. We also need to think about, like you've said, what are the anxieties that parents are going to have? And almost you have to come up with those without talking to the parents and then put together a handbook or a directory or a prospectus or whatever you want to call it that answers all of those questions. So you, you're almost doing a and a yeah. or FAQs, you know, frequently asked questions, but you've had to think about what those questions might be. If you've got children coming from um, early year settings, then you need to get and talk to those early year settings. But again, you may not be able to do that face-to-face, -face, so you may have to find virtual ways of doing that. Yep. So, so that will get you some information about how they've settled into that setting. If they've been at a childminder, then again, making contact with the childminder. And if they've been at home, one of the things that I am concerned about is how those children have developed during the last 12 months. So they haven't been going to play groups. They haven't been going to mother and toddler groups. Our early year settings have been open, but those voluntary groups haven't been. No. So have they picked up all of the language skills that they would have done if they'd have been with other children? Do they know how to play with other children? Do they know how to take turns? Or are they things that we're going to have to look to do in those first early weeks of reception? And the, the parents may have been at home, but if those parents have to work and they're being pressured into work, yeah. then an iPad could have been the babysitter for the last year. It's just, there's yeah. lots of... Yeah, I mean, you know, you don't want to assume that, you know, our children will come in with, in, with deficits, if you like. But actually, we've got to think they might. Yes. So they may not have had verbal communication face-to-face. -face. You know, they may have had a lot more time with a device than maybe they would have done had they have gone to various groups and, and what have you. You know, and you think about... I know the local library, they do a book and a bounce session, you know, so they get read a story and, you know, they do some Music activity. Mummy, yeah, tumble that, tots, all, that, all of those. those things have, have just stopped. So, you know, and, and it has been very isolating. And separation anxiety, both for the child and the parent, come September, 
is going to be huge. Yes. Because they've just spent all this time in the home with the adults. And, you know, they won't have even seen grandparents, maybe. No. Um, you know, other than the wave at the door or whatever. So we have to think about all of those things. And so we have got to think differently. And then just on top of all of that is we have got a significant change to the Early Years Foundation framework, yep. Foundation Stage framework, and the Development Matters has changed. And it will be, uh, well, as, as far as we know, it will be mandatory to do the baseline assessment. Yep. So thinking about your how you're going to start in September. So those schools that might think actually we're going to take the whole of that first half term and we'll stagger start and they'll just do mornings and we'll only have half in and you know we'll only have you know so less groups and all the rest of it but actually if you've got to do a baseline assessment by the end of that half term you want them in quicker than that yes because <laughs> you need to get them into the routines and the, the you know the strategies that they're going to need so again as much as it would be lovely if you could stack them, you know, in, in my eyes, you're sometimes better off just, it's almost kill and cure really, but just getting them in as fast as you possibly can and getting them used to whole days, getting them used to having lunch at lunchtime, you know. So looking into your crystal ball, you'll think that reception baseline will just go ahead regardless. I, I, given the way that what I'm reading at the moment, yes. I think that the department want to get things as back to normal as possible from September. Cool. I mean, it might be, maybe, that schools do it, but they don't have to report on it. I, d I don't know. But I think that if they can, they will get things back up and running because they want to get back to normal in terms of those things, you know. But, but watch this space because we don't know. And I suppose one of the things, that transition, so there's transition up to that first day, yeah. but I suppose the parents and that child anxiety isn't going to disappear on that first day. And I suppose... You also, you can't go into the classroom as a parent and go, well, what's what happened today? You ha so there's also probably that first week or two, you'll want some additional communication to really help the parents know this is what's happened today so they can talk to their child and find out how they were. There's probably a lot of anxiety in that first yeah. few weeks of how was and, it all and, and was again, it okay? If we, if we had normality and we had all the time in the world, then you'd probably have an induction program that met in the first week. Parents stay for the first hour. Yep. You know what I mean? And you you wean them away, if you like. But as you say, you, that's not going to happen. No. Because you can't have, you know, 30 children in a nursery and 30 adults. <laughs> it's just not going to happen uh, in a reception class, sorry. So it, it is going to be, you know, what, what will that first day look like? How will you stagger bringing them in? How far in can parents come? You know, is it just to the door or can as long as they're socially distant? You know, thinking through all those things. And you can't even hang around because generally those reception children have a time zone to get in and out. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you can't hang around and have a chat. It's no. go. Because the other children might be coming in to the, or they've, they've all come in and then they come out to play or whatever it might so, be. So, yeah, so you've got a huge amount of communication which yeah. people, everyone wants but yeah. can't happen how we've always no. done it. And, and, you know, reception's always been that one stage where, you know, every single parent will take their child to the door and pick their child up from the door. So there's that daily interaction with the teacher or the t teacher's sister, whoever it is, and who, as you said, can say, oh, they've had a really good day today. They did this, they did that, or not so good today. You know, they wet themselves or you know, whatever yeah. it might be. And it's how, as you say, how we're going to communicate that. Now, lots of schools, um, early year schools, have got, have now got 
systems like Seesaw and Jigsaw and various other platforms that they yeah. use for homeschool messaging. And I think they're going to have to continue. Yeah. I think we're going to have to use those and send photos and, you know, just so parents feel less anxious and more in touch with whatever. And again, I think that maybe thinking about is there ways that we can socially distance in the playground and maybe on the Friday they come a bit earlier and you can have sort of conversations. But again, it depends on how many children, how many parents, what your size of your school is. It's thinking through what yeah. what else can we do. And, and using the school website, so, you know, putting stuff on there, sent using social media, but closed groups. Yeah. Um, it's all those sort of things, I think, that I know people used last summer and maybe thought we'll never have to do this again. <laughs> and actually, we're in the same situation as we yeah. are now. And I think it is, if you're a parent who had that child with you at home for the last year and they're not there, there's a lot of anxiety throughout that first day. Yeah. I, and I know it's extra work. But if you're reducing that parent's anxiety, it's going to actually be better for the child. You're building the parent's ang- child's anxiety. And that also means that at dinner time they, or after school, they do go, that parent can go, oh, my gosh, you did this today. Yeah. Always, what did you do at school today? Yeah. That's always a hilarious question, isn't and it? And they always say, nothing. nothing. <laughs> or or shrug their shoulders. But if you have, from that photo you've seen, way into a conversation, did you dress up today? Yeah. Were you playing with the track? And it's like, oh, who was that boy you were playing? Yeah. Just as soon as you have a question, that's the start of the conversation. Yeah, conversation. yeah. So thinking through how that's going to happen as opposed to the face-to-face conversations. And I think sometimes I remember a parent saying to me last summer how they felt that they'd been sort of pushed away because the, the teacher was very aware of the social distancing and the, yeah, I mean, obviously we're a year on now, so vaccinations and masks and all the rest of it. But, you know, she didn't want to get too close to the parent because she knew that that wasn't what they were meant to do. But the parent felt that she was being pushed away because, you know, the teacher was trying to get back into the classroom. For a safety point of view, it wasn't that she didn't want to talk, but obviously that parent read... How they perceived it. Yeah, and it might have been, you know, if that's quite a young teacher, so probably maybe looking a bit scared because they were thinking, I can't get close, I can't get close. But actually... You know, the parents saw that as she's running away from me, she doesn't want to talk to me type of thing. So that body language and, you know, the way that we actually, our facial expression really is so much more important now than it's ever been, especially if we're wearing masks, it's all about the eyes, isn't it? Um. I was just thinking, is often the first day of a nursery or school, you always have that child who's being peeled off their parent yeah. or the parents being peeled off the child. It's a bit hard to do that from two metres away, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and But actually... What we don't want to then happen is that separation anxiety, which is what it actually is. And that could be separation anxiety from the child's point of view or from the parents. What we don't want then to happen is that child doesn't come into school at all. No. Because they don't even get sort of out of the house, if you know what I mean. And, And again, there may well be an increase in the number of people who actually are frightened to actually just come outside the house. Yeah. Because they've spent so long, especially if they're clinically vulnerable or ex- clinically extremely vulnerable, they haven't been out. No. And I know, you know, even for people like me, it is difficult to get back into it. You know, you, I mean... It just feels know, odd. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we've, we've relied on online shopping. Going back into a supermarket now is actually quite 
still feels a bit scary, you know, and coming out of the house, having to go to a school and meet people you've not met before and your child's screaming and, you know, the easier option would be, well, let's stay here today. Yeah, it's so, just so many, because as a parent, you've got to, you, generally you've got other parents, yeah. you know, am I being judged? It's just so many yeah. things go around your head. So, yeah, hopefully by September we'll be into the next phase and we can meet other people, you know, indoors and so you know it might be that we're, we're a bit we've got a bit more leeway but i still think that you know september at the start of term there'll still be quite a lot of restrictions i, th- I think september is that time where if there is a spike over the summer september is that time you actually really be really careful you kind of don't want to get a covid infection of going through your school no. so you want to start with a nice level of protection doing so secondary schools doing all those tests yeah. and you've got to do all that so it might start more protective than it needs to be yeah. just to make sure we have that continued yeah. learning in the continued yeah. school because that's the other issue isn't it? It, it it takes a few weeks to actually see that the contagiousness go up yeah so yeah you know, when everybody goes back in september it might well be the end of september we, so we see a spike if we don't do as you say the things that we need to do to get everybody back on track so yeah so that would be the sort of you know, from home to school is, is just thinking about how are you preparing the parents, how are you supporting the parents. And for children with special needs, where they've already been identified, making sure that, you know, parents know that you've got um, support, they've got an education, health and care plan, that you're able to provide everything that's written into the plan. Um, if the child's going to need speech and language therapy, that that's all booked. If they need some one-to-one support, that that you've already appointed that person. You're making sure that parents know that all that's happening. And if you've got parents where the child hasn't got an education, health and care plan, but the parent is worried about, you know, their child maybe not working at the levels of their peers or, or they've got concerns, then again, it's about sharing with the parents what you'll do to you know, check that out and, and that you'll be watching them and you'll be observing them while they're in the classroom, yeah. etc. And that you will involve that parent literally from day one in terms of, you know, we won't do anything without talking to you first and, and, and building those relationships with parents, which if you get that right, when that child comes into reception, you've got it right for yeah. the whole of the school life. It's when parents feel they, they weren't listened to, they didn't have their voice heard in those early days is when you you usually end up getting really difficult situations, maybe later down the line when a child really does need help and support. So I suppose in reality, although so you know, the primary to secondary is probably is the big transition, in reality for those who have been at home and have been in such a different environment to normal at home, this is them and context in their life this is an even bigger transition because there's so much more to overcome yeah absolutely and i think at this moment in time that's even bigger than it was yes <laughs> because they won't have been doing normal things you know they won't have been on holiday they won't have you know done some of the things that as families they would have done so they're coming into school with less experience and less knowledge, really, than they might have done in the past. Show and tell could be quite boring. It could be. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go there. <laughs> or if they've got good imaginations and they make it up, I suppose. Yes. But, uh, yeah. But again, that ma- imagination might not have grown. No. Well, yeah, exactly. Because it's not been fed. No. If, as you say, they've been put in front of Frozen on their device day after day, that's not going to give them, you know, huge scope for developing. So... 
moving on, if you like, the next the next transition for me, and it's quite a small transition, but I'll just mention it now before we move on to sort of the bigger ones, is when they move from early years foundation stage into year one. Yeah. Because they're moving out of that play and stay type of approach, although in reception they will have done some formal you know, work, if you like, that's what you call it. But year one becomes much more formal. Yeah. And again, for some parents and, and for parents of children with special needs, there is a real concern that where they may have had a bit more freedom in reception, they've got the sort of play activities, they, they spend a lot more time outside, they might use forest school a lot more or, you know, water or sand, you know, that, all of that creative type approach that there is this sort of feeling that they go into year one and they all have to sit down and they all have to write and they should be reading and you know, all the rest yeah. of it. So I think that there is a piece of work that needs to be done at that point, not just for the children, which I think is, that's a big bit, because especially if you've had a, what I call a free flow early years where they don't have a, a desk, but you know, they have play areas, play areas or yeah. the writing area or the maths area or whatever and there's only two or three children sitting at a, you know at a table to going into that more formal everybody's sat at a desk or everybody's meant to be on the carpet at the same time and you know so I think there's some work that you need to yeah. do there um, just purely to prepare both children and um, families for that there's process. also there's generally a quite a large reduction number of adults in the class yeah um, so my daughter's school, when I was a governor, it was they went down to, I think, one TA in year one, which was quite a big change. So they put it to two to make that transition easier. And also for some children, those special needs become more apparent because when it's all play-based, yeah. everything's fine. But as it gets down to that more written, that more yeah. structured, then those differences yeah. can start to appear. And, and also by then you're talking about sort of um, rising sixes. So they're, you know, they're, they're in that sort of sixth year of being in it is easier to start identifying needs, especially, you know, if they've been doing some really good, if phonics is being taught really well in reception and that child's just not keeping up or just understanding that, that will start to show, yeah. you know. So by, by year one, schools are having to think about what extra support are we going to give for, you know, phonics. And again, you know, it might be that they actually need some more speaking and listening because actually their oracy skills were were not good when they came into school. We've got them on that trajectory of reading without them actually having the speaking and listening skills that they need or they haven't got the vocabulary or, you know, they may have a hearing impairment that actually stopping them hearing the sounds. Or So I think that, yeah, year one is that crucial time when if they have, as you say, if they haven't been picked up already, Year one is, is the time when we do start to see some of those children who will be on the SEN register in the future starting to you know, come out and, and yeah. we start to see them. And again, it's about having those conversations with parents early. If that comes as a bit of a bolt of the, out the blue for a parent, they might say, well, they've been all right in reception. So what, you know, type of thing. So again, it's, it's parents understanding that now we're doing more formal work. Now we're doing more assessment but in a, a different way so yeah. less observation and more you know I hate the word testing but but you know what I mean we're able to find out more about what, what this youngster can of. do yeah, yeah. And, and where they need extra support and as you say if there's less help in the classroom that actually becomes a difficulty because the teacher's then having to do that high quality teaching but also putting in those adaptations and adjustments for those children that need it 
and that's where we start to see challenges. And also, is um, my daughter's school loved it, and you see, and, and it's sort of like the nursery that, you, that early years is very much lots of hugs and things like that. It's like having another mum. Yeah. Love it. Then you get to year one, although it hasn't been recently. Hasn't been recently. <laughs> um, so yes, maybe we're not this. But going up to year one, yeah. it's kind of not there. You haven't got that. No. I'm a bit tired or anything. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you're supposed to mature. Yeah, and it might be that you know it's, it's silly things like. Now you're in year one, the uniform might be slightly different. So where they've been in early years, it's just been a polo shirt and tracky bottoms or something. Now you have to wear proper trousers or a proper skirt and, you know, maybe a shirt as opposed to, you know. So it's getting them used to all of those those sort of things as well and less freedom and you have to do things in the time the teacher says you've got to do them as opposed to, you know, lots of activities within early years are quite short so, yeah. you know, because obviously the concentration span, so they've got to be able to sit for longer and concentrate for longer. They've got more choice about what they do, yeah. whereas now that choice is starting yeah. to disappear. Yeah. And so all of that, I think we need to prepare both children and, and parents for. Yeah. And some children will lap it up, though. I think it's great. I think once they're in year one and they get to the end of the year one, then transition through primary school is fine. Generally, after that, it's a smaller yeah. step each time. Yeah. I, I think my daughter's school up to year four, year three, you sat on the carpet. Yeah. Year four, you still sat. But yeah. year so yes, it's small yeah. changes. Yeah. And, and and you know, you get to know the teachers. If so, if the teachers stay fairly similar and they stay in the same year groups, or you've got siblings, you know, who was in Mrs. Smith's class and I'm going into Mrs. Smith's class like next year. You know, you've got all that conversation. And and again, you know, you've also got parents at the gate and talking yeah. to you know so. Um, I think the transition through primary school, once we've got through the into year one, is actually quite seamless. So will um, they? Will schools still be doing that? So my daughter school again. You had to meet the teacher. So at one point in the summer term, towards the end, everyone kind of moved up. Yeah, and I think what what will happen, and I, again, I don't see a difficulty in this in a primary school, is your year six children have been in a bubble. So year six children will go out on the playground, they'll have their sports day. I mean, if they're allowed, they'll have their trips, but often, you know, we don't know what that's going to look like by then. No. We get rid of year six, if you like, for yep. the day. And that means everybody can then move up into their new classroom or into their new bubble. But, you know, we're back, I think in most schools now, we're back into class bubbles. Yeah. You know, we've got, you know, if, if you've got a one-form entry, you've got one bubble for year one, one bubble for year two. So I think that will be able to, to be done. And again, it's, it's going to be about putting stuff on the website. It's going to be about if you've got new teachers starting, you know, they may not be able to come and do a visit. So maybe you record them saying, you know, I'm Mrs. Mrs. Jones and I'm going to be teaching you next year, you know, year one next year and I'll be your class teacher and, you know, this is my dog and, you know, just just so the children get to know them without actually meeting them face to face. So in September it's not such a big a big thing, you know, yeah. but so there are ways of and doing I suppose that. what you could do, because they always go up, but if you can actually get like the current year three children recording a video saying what have you loved about year three, yeah. then the current year twos can watch that and go, oh, it looks quite fun actually. Yeah. And and again, yeah, that I mean, that's a really good idea. Or, you know, we do this topic in year three and it's really exciting and, and we made... Yeah, whatever's or we went yeah. to so and so if, if visits are back, you know. But just, yeah, if, you know. So yeah, just making it um, exciting. And 
the thing is in primary schools a lot of this stuff is shared anyway through assemblies and you know children get to walk around school you know, again i know with bubbles but hopefully you know we'll be a bit more we'll be able to do a bit more in the future and i know lots of schools have done some fantastic online assemblies so they've still been able to share with other children what they're doing yep. within that year group so again it's it's maybe looking at that and you know recording some stuff where you've done a really good so i don't know you've done world war Two, and they've all been evacuees for the day and yeah you know they've, they've done a, a video of them all with their suitcase and their teddy bear and you know that sort of thing is, is would be really good and, yeah. and it's not as good as seeing it face to face but it, it's at least it tells it's you what you might be doing absolutely. and it's fun i think the biggest difficulty that is going to exist and, and again this is at all transition points really but as teachers, we will have only taught this particular year group that we're teaching at the moment for two terms because we've, we've almost had a whole term where we haven't been with all of those children. I know we've yeah. had some in, but not all of them. And so we, you know, coming back after Easter, we may feel that we don't know them as well as we would have done if, if we'd have been at high school all the time. So I think this next term up until summer is really important to really establish what are the individual needs and the strengths and the challenges for these young so you can pass that on to the next person yeah so the next teacher's not starting with a blank piece of paper and i know teachers do that anyway but i think it's it's really key this year yeah because some of the things that have gone on in children's lives will not go away and and it might be september before we actually start to see the child who's been affected by a bereavement or the child that's been affected by some separation of a family or some domestic violence. And again, teachers need to know that that might be something that, you know, that they've got to deal with when they come into their classroom. So gathering as much information now about those children and really building strong relationships with your class in this summer term so you can pass that information on in the autumn term yeah. and it might be that some schools actually decide and again i don't know this i'm just thinking here as i say it that they actually leave the children with that teacher for the following year yes yeah, some so, schools have done that yeah, this year so some schools may think actually the children will move to the next year group but the teacher will stay where they are so that you know the children have got that familiarity yeah. and yeah again it's up to schools how they do that but i think it's it is something they need to think about Going through primary years, once we've got over that EYFS into year one, is actually fairly smooth yeah, and can be dealt with a bit more realistically, if you like. I suppose but, if you've got an infant junior school, it's a similar... You, there are changes there. Yeah. and But again, it is that going to a new school, trying to get some connections yeah. between the two schools. And sometimes the infant junior schools are next to each other. Yeah, they're on the same site. So it's not... The, the one that can be more difficult which is when we've got first and middle schools and we have still got some local authorities that first and middle schools because then the first school might go up to um, year five, year four or year five and then they're transferring to middle school and if SATs come back in, they've only got a year before they have to do SATs in the middle school. So where, where you have got that system, I think that you do need to think about what transition looks like for those children yeah. because middle school is very different to first school. It's more like secondary school. There's so few of those at the moment that I think they'll be less and less as we go forward. But they, they do do have very different ways that they need to do transition. So um, that's just something to think about. Yeah. 
But I think the the big one, which you know everybody is struggling with and struggled last summer, is the primary to secondary. So the year six to year seven really is, yeah. is where we're at. And I think for children with special needs, incredibly important. When you look at statistics and, and data, the number of SEN pupils that are excluded from a secondary school in year seven and year eight is phenomenal. I bet. And I actually definitely think it's because transition didn't go well. Yes. I, th- I don't think it is because that child is exceedingly naughty. I don't think they're badly behaved. I just don't think that that transition process went well. There are, there are lots of children, and this is where, when you think about the SEM register and quality first teaching and things like that, where a child doesn't need an EHCP in the primary setting because that teacher's made lots of adaptions, which is, makes, suits that child, yeah. but that information isn't passed on. No. And then that child goes to that secondary school. Not only is there a giant change, but all that support and adaptions they had is gone. Yeah. It's a recipe for disaster. Absolutely. And that, I mean, that's the key bit. It's that passing on of information. So you may have children who have, you know, minor special needs, really. They, they don't have, you know, it's not significant. And actually with the adaptation or the strategy to support them. So somebody with um, eye functioning autism, you know, the group that do really well, but actually there's their social interaction or whatever is, is not good. They may not actually have been on your SEN register in primary school because as long as they got the adaptation or the fact that they had to sit near the door or, you know, they have to go out five minutes before everybody else or whatever it might be you've done, they may not go to secondary school being SEN per se, but they're going to need those same adaptations. But sometimes Uh, I know schools where they've made it and they don't realise how important they are. No, absolutely. So they and haven't passed it on, and that's... No. And, and I think, you know, let's take the, you know, a child who... I remember a, a lad who, he was so anxious, hadn't got learning difficulties at all, but he just had high anxiety. So he always needed to sit right by the door. He never left the classroom, but he just felt needed. better sitting there. And I remember he went to secondary school, and, and one of the teachers... I think the parents had said to the school, he needs to sit by the door, etc. And one of the teachers just turned around and said, he's not telling me what to do. You know, and I just thought you have just set yourself, well, he had set himself up to, for an absolute nightmare, you know, because he sat in right in the middle of the room where there was, no, you know, lots of children, no escape. And his anxiety levels went through the roof, which then caused him to have challenging behaviour and he, he ran. And then, of course, the whole discipline thing process kicks in and within the first year he'd been I think permanently executed two or three times and eventually parents took him away from that school he hadn't got an EHCP because he got no learning difficulties he was actually a really bright young but man anxiety needed absolutely support and so you know ended up being home educated which isn't a problem I haven't got a problem with that but actually he needed the social interactions of being in school yeah um you know so and all that school needed to do was make sure that every lesson he sat in that seat next to the door. And, you know, people will say, well, other children will give up, tell us where they want to sit. Well, actually, if they know that George has got, you know, a difficulty and, and it makes him feel anxious if he's not by the door, the majority of other children will understand that. And some of them will say, do you want to swap seats? 
some schools don't see that. It's it, no. you know, so I think that the primary to secondary bit is is key. Yeah. And of course, on top of all of that, all of those children at that point are going through puberty and adolescence. Yep. So their adolescent brain has got brain chemicals swishing about that they've never had before. Their body are changing. Their image, whether it's on social media or, you know, personal, is, is huge. And, you know, they're having to deal with all of that that life throws at them, as well as that huge change to going to a, a different school. So I think in the past, we'd got transition quite well in many schools. So they knew that where they've got children with special needs, they needed more than one visit. They might need to go outside of the school day so they got used to the empty school and then build that up but of course we're at a point where we may not have any school visits at all yeah and last summer was was a case in point of that and and actually schools did some brilliant stuff very late in the day because they lots of videos virtual tours absolutely so i think you know schools need to think about that virtual tours and you know different teachers saying who they are and what they teach and maybe a you know, a 360 of that classroom. It might be, and you and I were talking about this before we started uh, Sencast, was that with year seven, actually, the children stay in one room. Yep. And then the teachers change. So for those youngsters, it is more like the primary school. And maybe they just go to PE and home. That's no, food tech. Food tech. Called there, yeah. Or computing when they need to. Yeah. Um, but for the other subjects, they stay put and the teachers move. So you're just reducing the amount of anxiety that child's got to deal with. Because yeah. my daughter's school, uh, they're having building works, so they've got temporary. And my, my daughter in year 10 went to the wrong classroom. And she's like, you should be fine by year. But no, but even then, so a year seven child mm-hmm. getting lost around the yeah. school, who do I ask for? Oh, that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. And especially if they're quite small in stature. Yes. So they'd stick out, you know, as a year seven, you know. It, I know, you know, nowadays our kids are much bigger than maybe they used to be. But there's always some that are, you know, much smaller than others. You know, you can do lots of pre-work, like give them maps of the building. As you said earlier, you could have current year sevens recording their feelings about year seven. What was I worried uh, about? How was it? Absolutely. You know, if you get into trouble, you can go to the library or you can go to the learning support department, you know, so they know that there are places they can go if maybe they don't want to go outside or if they're feeling a bit vulnerable, they know there's somewhere they can go. They don't just have to go and hide in the toilets or whatever. Toilets are always a big issue. Some some children get really frightened about toilets yep. and, and don't go to the toilet for the whole day in school, which is not healthy. So again, if schools know about that, is there a disabled toilet that maybe that child can access that, you know, that's not hundreds of other children in, in there? Thinking about those sort of things. And then I think the other bit is, and again, we were having this conversation, and I don't know at the moment whether this this will be the case, but what normally happens, obviously, by half term, is that all of our year 11s have gone because they're all sitting there GCSEs and they're not actually in school other than for their exams. I suppose in my mind now, because they're not actually doing GCSEs on set days, they will still be doing assessments, but it'll be at the school level as opposed to national level. I would imagine that many of those year 11s will still be in school right through to the end of term. Yeah. But that then means that they can't do the open days that maybe they used to do for year sixes coming in. So, you know, they're going to have to think about how they're going to do that. And, you know, how are they going to get those year sixes in? Or 
maybe they've got to do, you know, come September, the first day of term or you know, the, whenever, whenever they're after training days is just for year six. Yeah. Or maybe just for year six and year 10 and then the year 10 show the year six. You know, I think we've got to think a bit outside the box. I think the other thing some schools did this year is that the year sevens came in a day early. Yeah. So um, on, the, on the inset day, yeah. year seven we're in doing yeah. stuff. Just again, go used around to. the school. We're not all the giant kids. But yeah, that's right. And and just get used to, I've got maths here, first lesson, and I've got science in this block, second lesson. So how long does it take me to get there? If I need the toilet in between, you know, can I do that and still get to the lesson on time? It's all those sorts of little things, yeah. really, that they've they've got to think about. So giving them that opportunity, whether, as I say, it's, it, we can actually get them into school. And I think schools, obviously, are now thinking about um, summer schools yep. and, you know, using some of their catch-up premium and their recovery premium to be organising year six, year seven summer schools, which is what I think most secondary schools will do. And again, what's that going to look like? So they're working now with their primary schools, so secondary schools, to actually identify which children are going to need that extra support, identify whether those children will actually turn up yeah. <laughs> because there will be some that won't want to give up their summer holiday, you know, or um, they're, they're probably not going to be going away, but parents might be wanting to take them out on day trips and things, so they may not want to engage. But then also thinking about what is it that these youngsters need. So it might be that they need more outdoor activity, they need more sport, they need more orienteering so you, to get used to it, but you're doing it in a, yeah. an orienteering type way. It might but be it, just more social. They need doing drama stuff, absolutely. having fun. Yeah, art, music. Or it might be that they actually need some help with speech and communication. So, you know, we need to engage with maybe speech and language therapists to come in yeah. and do some, you know, sort of intervention type work, which can be fun and enjoyable, but it's not, Work, work, no. if you know what I mean. I suppose, um, thing, thing for me as a parent, my, my youngest just got to year seven, and again, the thing which hits me difference between primary and secondary is the fact you can just email a teacher and they yeah. email you and you've got heads of year who will email you and you'll send an email with a little concern and the response you get back is generally phenomenal and it's involved other people. Yeah. So that's really good. So that's great. It means if you do have concerns, they're going to be listened to and respond. I'm not saying primary do that. It's a different way. Yeah. And the other thing which I love is the pastoral side in secondary. A lot of the time you have your class teacher or it's the lady in the office at primary. That's kind of the two yeah, people yeah. you go to. Or a teaching assistant. But the, the pastoral care and the, the fact that they've got someone you can go to and it's quite supportive and flexible is making your parents and students coming to your school aware of this probably more than ever you've done yeah. before and that they can use it whenever they need to. Yeah, and I think that's exactly it. So talked about the children, but we're still preparing the parents as well because the parents are going to have to prepare their youngsters over the six weeks holiday. So again, it's about parents knowing who to contact. If all you do is phone the school office and you get a school admin person who's lovely but almost puts the brick wall up yep. and says, I'll pass the message on, but you as a parent have no idea who they've passed it on to, who's going to get back to you if anybody did the message actually get passed on. So is it the tutor, you know, so the child's tutor? Is it the head of year? Is it the pastoral lead? So who are the people who you would contact for different things? Yep. 
and what is the best way to contact them. So if it is email, you don't want an office at or an admin at address. No. <laughs> you need to have that not, person, not personal email address, but their school email address so that you're actually getting to the history lead or the year seven lead or the pastoral yep. lead. What's great is I think my daughter has an email address for every single teacher, which yep. means that if she's struggling with homework, she can fire an yep. email off, yep. which is great. But I don't think you realise that as a parent going into this. No. So you're sitting there and your child has to know all about VLEs and Google Classroom and all of this, which is a world away from primary. Yep. And you just see the parent groups for year sevens. It's just the anxiety in the parents is huge and yeah. just it's helping them realize there's so much support available yeah and i think there will be schools dale where they don't do that and they don't offer those email addresses for, for youngsters to email and again as a parent i would want to know maybe not every teacher but who are the key people yeah so if i've got a concern about a subject who if i've got a concern about some social emotional mental health need or you know some well-being um who yeah if i've got um, an issue around bullying or you know my child not being happy who <laughs> so the key people that i would go to for specific things if you like if then teachers give their email address to the children for their subjects that's different i think as a parent it's the the people you need to get into contact with who will do something about <laughs> an issue that has come into the home. Yeah. So there might well be a mental health lead, for instance, who, you know, if, if a child's feeling really anxious about something or, you know, lots of secondary schools have a school nurse. So again, you know, if a child's not feeling very well, they know they can go to the medical room or to see the school nurse. Children who've got special educational needs, they'll be part of the learning support department, usually headed up by the SENCO or the inclusion manager. And nine times out of ten, those learning support departments have a room that is a safe space. So a yeah. youngster who is feeling not able to cope or often usually at, at um, non-timetable time, so break and lunch times, they, they don't know how to deal with... Um, Unstructured. The, yeah, the, the large groups or the noise or eating in front of other people. or And so, again, it's about knowing where that, that space is and the fact that, you know, I'll be welcome there at any point during break and lunchtime and I can eat my lunch there or I can have my drink there or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And, and again, for a parent, you know, knowing who that is and where that is. And because I think that's one of the biggest worries about somebody with a child with special needs is, as you said earlier, in a, in a primary school, there's all that nurture that goes on with one teacher in one classroom or one teaching assistant that's done all the sort of support work who knows that child really, really well and will know when they're starting to get anxious or, you know, you can feel them getting bubbling yeah. under and they need a bit of, you know, downtime or exercise or a bit of a brain break. If there's nobody there recognising that and the young person doesn't know how to deal with that, then, you know, that's when things go wrong. And again, I would say to anybody working with year six children, make sure they've got some strategies that even if nobody in the classroom is watching, they know that if they sit there and twiddle their thumb or, you know, just tap their fingers together under the table or, you know, something that actually might, or some deep breathing, that might actually calm them down and, and reduce their anxiety. 
Um, but if they've been used to having in primary school rag rated cards, so if they're feeling all right, they've got their green card up. If they're starting to feel a bit wobbly, they turn to amber. So somebody then will come and just check. And, you know, hopefully they don't get to red. But if they do get to red, that's sort of crisis point. If they've been used to that system and then that's completely gone, they've got no control. They've, they've got no way of saying to somebody, I might need a bit of help in a minute because I'm starting to. Yep. And that has got to come about by liaison between primary and secondary senkos. Definitely. And, you know, I know lots of primary and secondary senkos, you know, meet during this next term. That may not be possible, although... You know, maybe nearer the summer term, we, we will be able to meet socially distanced, but inside buildings. I think we can do that online. You can do it through Teams or Zoom. And it's really important that any paperwork that you've got, so any notes, any referrals, any uh, documentation is passed on. Yep. Now, under GDPR, a uh, very boring subject of GDPR, the school should not keep anything pertinent to a child and SEN once they've left that school. Slightly different for safeguarding. So this is just <laughs> SEN. So everything that you have got about a child should be passed on to their next school. And that's wherever they are. I mean, that, that could be if you've got infants to juniors or, you know, first school to middle. You shouldn't keep anything. So if it's electronic, it should go electronically. If it's paper, it should go paper. And what I recommend that you do is a primary school, you have a, a front sheet that goes with that or an electronic letter that the secondary school signs to say they have received all of that paperwork. That then means if ever the primary school were asked for any information at all about that child while they were in primary school, they have got evidence to show it was all passed to the secondary school. Yeah. If the secondary school have then shredded it, it's the secondary school's problem, not the primary school's. Yeah. But they shouldn't be keeping anything. I would root through that because some of it may not be pertinent. But actually, going back to, you know, that information that you would get on that home visiting nursery if that child was born prematurely and they've transferred, there are some of, you know, you look at the birth date, it's August the 30th, they're transferred so we know they're already a year younger than their eldest peer, but actually they were born three months premature, so they actually shouldn't be in that year group at all. No. And they're, so they're three months plus, yeah. you know, a year, if you like. So that can be really important information to a year seven teacher. Yeah. Because developmentally... Even in ordinary circumstances, they would not be at the same development level as their peer. No. And so if they are looking at two, three years behind, at least a year and a half of that is because of their circumstances of birth. Yeah. So, you know, that, that sort of information we need, because parents will not tell you that when they're 11. It's kind <laughs> it, of it's, gone out of their head a lot yeah, of the time, unless absolutely. it's a very... Yeah, and there's, um, yeah, there's a real, you know, crisis about it. But, you know, nowadays, kids born prematurely, is, they, they survive. And, you know, yes, they spend maybe longer in, you know, the NICU or in an incubator. But actually, most of them come out and they they thrive and, and they're yeah. fine. But their brain may not be formed in the same way that a child that's gone to full term. So passing on that information is, is really important. And I think the other thing that I would say to primary schools, and again, I know how busy everybody is, and I know 
the difficulty in all of this. But I would keep a check on those kids, you know, maybe just the vulnerable ones, but just occasionally a phone call to the school to say how they're getting on. Or again, if you if you had a good relationship with the family, you know, again, just a quick text to the parents saying, you know, how have they settled? And and I think that is really important as well because it, you've still got that link between the yeah. two. And also, I think from a primary school point of view, it's part of that destinations data that you collect. Yeah. So it's not just about, oh, they all went to such and such secondary school. You know, it's actually about thinking if a youngster was excluded within that first half term and you know that wouldn't have happened in primary, why couldn't you just contact that Senko and say, can you just tell me what happened here? Because I'd really like to help. And then they might tell you the story and you go, ah, yeah. yeah. And, and then it might be the fact you didn't pass something on. So, But I think that keeping those connections is, is really, really important as I well. I think that's a really good idea, that keeping in touch. Yeah. and just Because, yeah, it is... You always find that when a parent says something to a teacher, mm. you go, oh, yeah, it's just a parent being a concern, one of those yeah. worrying parents. Yeah. But when another teacher kind of says, oh, is there issues with that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. What's the issue? Oh, he did that quite a bit. What we did was this. Yeah. It just can help remove that yeah. issue quite easily. And, and I think, you know, I mean, I remember many years ago when I was teaching, but, you know, you'd get kids coming back in September to the primary school to see you. You know, you go, oh, is it going? Yeah, it's boring, miss. We're doing the same stuff as we did in your class. <laughs> I mean, I mean, maybe different now, I know, you know. And But again, they may not be able to come back to the primary school to talk no. to the teacher because of the situation we find ourselves in. So if they know you're keeping in touch with them, then again, it might be just that, that link they need to know that somebody's just keeping an eye on me, sort of yeah. thing, you know. So... I think there's lots of things we can do, even if we can't do the visity things. But I think for children with SEM, we do have to need to step that up a bit and maybe do more virtual or more Zoom with teachers or yeah. just more connectivity, really, maybe with other kids or whatever. But just thinking about what their needs are and, and what they might require for the first day and you know the first week and so forth. So. Yeah. I suppose going through secondary, that transition is like primary. It's quite yeah. same old, especially yeah. if you're moving lots of classes, you get all that over in year seven, yeah. year eight and year nine, you're kind of repeating. Absolutely. And then, of course, you get into the choices and, and life changes a little bit because it all becomes part of the, the GCSE trajectory and you know that flight path to, to exams. And again, we don't know what that's going to look like in the future. But I so. suppose there is... For those with SCND, there's managing anxiety, managing yeah. expectations, lots of explaining the options. Absolutely, and, and working with parents. Because again, the thrust at the moment, the accountability measure, measure for secondary is eight GCSEs. And there's, there's youngsters in those schools that might manage four, but actually they've got to do eight because that's the accountability measure. And then how do you manage that? Is then the thought that, well, they'll do eight, but they'll fail them all or get very low grades. But actually, let's really push four and get them, yeah. you know. And again, good schools will be working with parents on that. One of the things that I am really hopeful for on the SEND review, which is happening at the moment at Department for Education level, but will yeah. come out into schools and for consultation, is that we think wider than GCSEs at, yes. at year 11. And we actually acknowledge that, you know, about 10% of children will not do eight GCSEs in very academic subjects. And when they have to choose those 
buckets of, of choices. You know, it's double English and double maths and a foreign language and two sciences. And, you know, and they've got two left to do their PE and their drama, which they're really, really good at. And those people, you know, might be really good at beauty or car mechanics or, you know, the more vocational stuff that they can't actually do till they get to college. Why can't they be doing those in year 10 and 11 if that's their love? And I'll always remember one of the, the things that sticks in my mind is that is a young lady that I met who was in year 10 and she got to year 10 with basically no reading skills at all. And part of me said, hey, she got this far without that, you know what I mean? What it culminated in is she did not see any reason to learn to read. She could not see the reason for, for learning to read. It just didn't, it wasn't a skill that she felt was going to be useful to her in the future life. So when I was talking to her and I said, well, what do you want to do? And she said, hair and beauty. And I said, oh, that's really good. I said, but if I was coming to you to have my hair coloured, which I have to do nowadays, you know, I'd want to know that you could read how much of that particular dye and how much of that peroxide and how much of that you have to put in that pot to mix up to make my hair the colour I want it to be. And for the first time ever, it was a light bulb moment and she realised that she did need to learn to read because nobody had ever sort of put it into the context of where she wanted, where she to, be. wanted to be. This was her aspiration, but people were trying to get her to read Shakespeare or, you know, a classic, which meant nothing to her. And they have given her some beauty magazines or hair and beauty magazines. She'd have probably learned to read because it was relevant to what yep. was really important to her. So again, I think we just need to to think about though, and it's not hundreds of kids that we're talking probably 10% of a, an average secondary school, yeah. but they are not going to be able to access 10 academic or EBAC type GCSEs. We need to be looking at alternatives for them. Definitely. And again, which goes back to what I said, you know, parents need the support at that point as well. Because again, it's at that point where we do start to see kids not coming into school, where they get disaffected, where they then end up getting off rolled because their schools don't want them because they're not going to be on their data, you know, in their data set. Yep. And then they're the kids that could get involved in things they shouldn't be getting involved in, inappropriate activity, kind of whether that's online, online or whether it's, you know, in the streets. And yet actually, you know, had you got them in school doing what they really, really want to be doing, they're on a really good trajectory to get to where they want to get to. So I think that that move from year nine into year 10 and, and where all those choices are is a big one. Yeah. And the careers education that sits around that is, is really important and sharing that with parents. Because although parents, you do see parents starting to step back a little bit more as children get older. Yeah. And they think, you know, the kids can manage it themselves. But actually, most youngsters still need parental support. I think they, um, they can't. As you always say, you don't know what you don't know, but you're asking a child of 13 to go, where are you going to be when you're 30? Yeah. And it's... What experience have they got? Yeah. They've been in a school their entire life. Yeah. They know what you do. They know what um, you, you, the mum... They know what I do as a dad. They know what my, my wife does. Yeah. They may have heard what some of their friends' parents yeah. do. or their aunties and uncles. And they've seen people on TV. Yeah. That's their experience of life. Yeah. They can't answer that. So you've got to sit there and there's careers, but yeah. it, it, it does require a lot of conversation, what they want to do and various things like that. Yeah, and, 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 and you'll get to kids who've watched something like Line of Duty <laughs> and they want to go and work in, yeah, is it AV12 or whatever, you know, yes. whatever, you know what I mean? And they're going to be like forensic scientists, so they're going to be... And actually, 
you know, they're not going to get there. They could, uh, they could be a chiz. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> There's that world that they live in, which is not always the real world, because it's the world of television, of games, of videos, etc. So they know you make lots of money being a vlogger yes. or a blogger or a footballer. But actually, it's very few that make the money. Yes. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And I think we've just got to be realistic and, and share that with with our young people and, and you know, give, the, give them alternatives to what might be their first choice. Yeah. And then just looking really to the next phase, I think that at the moment, we've got an awful lot of young people who are a little bit mixed up. So last year, we had youngsters who didn't do their GCSEs. They're now in sixth form or, or they're in, you know, a college they're working towards A-levels, which may or may not happen in 2022. We, we still don't, don't know, know what's going to happen next year. And I, I think there's going to be a quite a lot of anxiety around when they go out into the big wide world, will um, employers look at their qualifications based on teacher assessment in the same way they may have looked at GCSE results? Yeah. Or will they, if they were up against somebody that had done GCSEs who's a couple of years older, will they be compared with them? Which is wrong because I don't think exams should do that. But let's be honest, that's what happens in this world. I think there's those youngsters who didn't do GCSEs. They're now into their A-level studies. And have they got enough knowledge and skills to actually be now doing A-level? And will they be able to you know, cope with um, A-levels? If the AS levels aren't going to happen this summer, then there's all sorts of things. And then, of course, you know, will they get into universities? Will we still have all the universities we've got at the moment? Because it's possible that, you know, lots there's of universities lots of... Are, are not going to exist because of finances. And then kids look at, you know, do I really want 54 grand's worth of yeah. debt? You know, when I come out at 21, 22, whatever. So what else am I going to do? But then employment is not great at the moment so i think that there's they're going to need a lot of support as well even at that top end of school and, and going into college and children with special needs are going to need exceedingly large amounts of support yeah. because they're going to need a lot of help with supportive employment or apprenticeships or internships and are they going to be available? Oh, I think it's a lot more competition so you've got yeah. lots of like ba pilots doing tesco deliveries yeah competing with people who've just had their GCA or A-levels. Yeah. So I've got an A-level, I'm doing great. Yeah. So it's a lot of competition. And they can't do the gap year because they can't go travelling. And So, so they, they set expectations lower, yeah. which means those lower... It's, yeah. it's so a I real think that difficult transition across the whole spectrum from, I won't say birth, but let's say from three right the way through to 18 plus is really key now. Yeah. For different reasons for different groups, but... You know, school is there is there one consistent bit, and I think we have to do what we can to support them. Crystal ball time. Do you think there are going to be more older children staying in education longer that may have gone into employment due to the current situation? So do you think some more children will stay all that to 25 with that EHCP? Well, I think lots of parents will actually fight for that to happen. Yeah. Because I think that, you know, for, for children who've got an education, health and care plan, the issue for parents is, well, what are they going to do? And if there isn't that specialist college or specialist provision, where are they going to go? And they parents will be, I don't like the word fight, but actually that's what they're doing. It is To fight. keep that, that EHCP going until they're 25 and keeping them in education whatever that might look like for as long as they possibly can. 
Yeah. So yeah, I think it is. You fight all the way. And then there's what happens when there's 25. That's a well, whole yeah, we, that's another, another podcast. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so um, thank you for coming on the show today, Lorraine. Thank you for taking us in just over an hour and a quarter, all the way from birth, all the way through to 25. There's lots of bits in there to think about, lots of different stages. And some of that stuff, which will, um, that separation anxiety, you see, so my daughter starts in year seven. Her and two friends were the only children who didn't get driven to secondary school for the yeah. first week. Because parents just wanted to make sure. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Even at secondary school, those yeah. parents still have that separation yeah. anxiety because secondary school is a huge step back. You're yeah. not going to the school gates. No. So, yeah, some of that stuff you're doing even in the early years, you still could be yeah, useful and, at secondary. And that's why getting them as independent as you possibly can in primary is a real bonus when they go to secondary. Because yeah. if they've got some of those resilient skills, they've got some of those independent skills, they can bounce back. So if something happens they're able to cope with that because they've got the self-confidence and the self-esteem. And that's what we need to be building from from reception right the way through. Excellent. So Lorraine has provided me some useful links around transition. I'll be putting these in the show notes. I'll also be sharing uh, Lorraine's contact details, as I always do. Um, and you'll find the show notes on our website, www.thesendcast.com. So thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, please subscribe. You can find links to subscribe across all the different platforms we're on on our website. And please follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are at The Sendcast. And on Facebook and Instagram, we are simply The Sendcast. And please use social media to share um, what The Sendcast is with others. Share the great content that my uh, guests provide. Before I go, I'd just like to remind you to check out what we do here at B-Squared. As well as this podcast, we have our online CPD platform, Training for Education. You'll find a number of our guests are speakers at our virtual SEND conference or have recorded their own training courses. Training for Education is a really, really, really good way to get CPD for all staff around SEND that is effective and affordable. Visit www.trainingforeducation.com for more information. And lastly, don't forget B-Squared's assessment product. It's what we're known for. It's what lots of schools use us for. It's about helping schools show the small steps to progress pupils with SEND make. And we cover a huge range from early years all the way through to post-16 and preparing for adulthood. Visit www.bsquared.co.uk for more information. So thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of The Sendcast. Goodbye from me. And goodbye from me and thank you for listening. Thank you. Bye.